Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. Welcome to the 51st episode of the Weave Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Shaniqua. Shaniqua is a Caribbean textile interdisciplinary artist and weaver. She received her Master's of Design in Fashion, Body, and Garment at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. She has exhibited her work in numerous galleries and was a featured artist for Ties That Bind in American Craft Magazine, among many other places. I'm so happy to get to be talking to you for the podcast today, Shaniqua. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way to weaving? Sure. Um, Well, my name is Shaniqua, and I consider myself to be an Caribbean interdisciplinary um, textile artist. And essentially what that means is I use my love for um, textiles specifically um, as the foundation to start the conversation in my work. And from there, it morphs into either a sculptural piece, um, an installation, video, performance, garment, etc., And um, how I found my way to weaving was essentially my love for textiles initially. And I was always curious at a young age, specifically in high school, um, with African textiles, um, specifically Guyanese textiles. And through there, I was like, how is this even done? And I realized that point because I attended a um, magnet art high school, Noel School of the Arts in Miami, Florida. And I just seen myself always wanting to touch things and people would consider that to be a tactile artist. And from there, I was like, okay, I want to study how to do this. So I decided to do my um, bachelor's in fibers. And I knew that with my degree, I'll have to learn how to do certain things. So with that came weaving. And I had to do that in 2012 is when I learned how to weave. Wow. And what was the very first thing you wove and what kind of loom were you weaving on? I was weaving on a floor loom, um, a four. Oh, that's a great question. Was it a four harness? loom? I can't remember, but (laughs) (laughs) I knew for sure it was a floor loom. And initially when I walked in, I was extremely intimidated seeing like 12 plus looms. And I was like seeing how you have to dress the loom. And I was like, oh, no. I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> and I totally like <laughs> psyched myself out. But when I started um, the journey to do that, um, I was like, oh, this is not so bad. It's just time consuming and you got to be patient and you just got to just breathe. <laughs> it's very meditative. Um, but my first project um, that I produced outside of like sample weaving, because that's like the first thing you do, you kind of like sample out and learn different things um, from there. But my first project was the cocoon um, piece on my site, which was woven with hair, synthetic hair. Hmm. Yeah, that was my first project. Tell me about that piece. Well, that piece, oh, that piece was so interesting. So (laughs) really, um, I started out just like learning basic patterns. And I remember my teacher at the time, my professor, Erica Hansen, she taught me, like, she showed me this overshot book, this huge book. And I saw all these amazing and beautiful, bold patterns. And it mimicked, in a way, the textiles that I loved and adored 
um, the African textiles in Ghana, Mm -hmm. West Africa. So I was just like, I want to learn how to do this. And she was like, calm down. You're a beginner. We're going to get there. And I was like, (laughs) no, I want to learn how to do this now. And we were just going back and forth. And what I ended up doing is once I studied like the mathematics behind, like just dressing the loom and threading it, et cetera, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. Forget what she said. Uh, And I did. (laughs) The very first thing you wove after your samples was overshot. That's incredible. It's crazy, right? I know. It is. Um, (laughs) I love it. And from there, yeah, everything was overshot. And until this day, Mm -hmm. I love, 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 love to work in overshot. Um, And she, I remember for critique, for our first critique, we had a deadline and I refused to cut it short because I decided to weave with hair because I just wanted to know if that was possible. Even though I was told you can weave anything, I was like, I don't know. Can you weave hair, though? (laughs) (laughs) And then when I realized the amount of time, like, I really jumped in the water, like, headfirst, crazy. And I was telling her, I'm not going to meet this deadline for critique. And she was just like, well, I don't know what you want to do. And I was like, I'm not cutting it. (laughs) I'm going to weave this whole thing. And I think I will. I put on about eight yards, seven to eight yards. And I wove the whole thing. And of course, I did not meet my deadline. However, it was worth it. (laughs) So that's all that matters. That's incredible. And why did you want to weave with hair? And what was that like? So essentially, um, at the time, um, I was just starting out, I believe I was, I want to say a sophomore, I can't recall exactly, because I ended up like skipping a level, I ended up graduating a three in three years out of a four-year program. So I can't recall exactly, but I wanted to explore hair because of the concept that I was working with at the time, which really um, talked about sisterhood and the relationship I had with my younger sister, Takia Brooks. And um, it really stemmed from wanting to have more of a sisterly bond, be closer to her, because we really didn't have that growing up, that type of relationship. But the only time I felt that was when she would braid my hair. So Hmm. um, it really kind of started from there. Initially, it was like, can I do this as braiding with the material? And then conceptually, it just came together as far as like, what colors, why was we, you know, that whole concept kind of built over time. Um, so yeah, that's how I stumbled upon that. Hmm. I'm so intrigued by what you're saying. And if this is too personal of a question, feel free not to answer it. But I'm curious if weaving with the hair and thinking through that process, did that also change the nature of your relationship with her and the ways that you were looking for? Um, in a way, yeah. I mean, we're closer now that we've gotten older. That's for sure. Um, Mm. And another part of it was kind of to pay um, homage to um, time spent and the wanting of being like best friends and being that ideal um, big sister that she wanted in me. So it was a lot of different emotions. Hmm. There will be moments when I'm weaving and I would just think, and that's why my work is very deeply rooted um, in family, um, womanhood, sisterhood, and the black woman and the African-American and Caribbean diaspora. Because that's where I really was, that's my culture. That's what I was brought upon. 
So a lot of moments over time as I would weave and the works would come to be, um, the conversation will always kind of go back and forth within those themes, you, um, you would say. And there'll be moments when I would literally just cry. <laughs> like, uh, it would be hmm. so intense, yeah. like moments, because I'm thinking, I'm having conversation with myself, the Lumini, and as I'm weaving, it'll just get deeper and deeper. And there'll be moments where I just have to walk away um, and just kind of catch myself. And I write a lot as well. So it would just be that kind of dynamic that'll occur when it's time for me to start weaving or in the midst of me weaving. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you clearly fell head over heels for weaving and mm-hmm. d- dove into such a complicated project for your first one. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about it that keeps you coming back all these years later to your loom? Wow. Um, the process process is very important to me. Um, weaving, yes, is very meditative, but it's also that rigor, um, that, um, that immediacy of in the beginning, you have to make sure things are aligned. Like dressing loom is extremely the most important part of weaving to me. Um, because if it's not done right, it's not going to be able to be woven. And I always tell people like physically weaving is the easiest part and, but just getting everything the way you want it to be within dressing it is where it's like, "Mm." and that's the part that I not always enjoy because it just takes long. (laughs) It takes a bit too long. Mm -hmm. However, in that moment, I'm able to really digest and um, figure out my patterns because um even though ahead of time I know what the pattern is but sometimes I just mix it up it's very intuitive for me um and sometimes I go off key and then I come right back and then that adds another layer to the work um and that's just how I feel in the moment like I said I'm always having a conversation with my loom um mm-hmm. so the way her and I and I call it a her <laughs> Um, her and I like converse is really important to me. I take care of her. She takes care of me. Um, there'll be moments where things will not work out. Um, sometimes, you know, you mess up in the threading process and then you have to like troubleshoot and figure out other strategies. And those are the moments where I walk away or I come back and we continue again. And it's really the process that keeps me coming back to her. Um, and the dynamics and the beautiful, not just the work and the aftermath, but what happens, the magic that takes place while I'm making it is really important to me. Hmm. And it shows in my work, I feel, as my work has evolved, it shows. Yeah, it really does. You know, I talk to so many different people for this podcast and just through my work about the weaving process and... I think the way you just described it is one of the most beautiful ways I've ever heard it. Like that (laughs) dialogue with the loom and the ways that the process matters even when it's hard. So yeah, thank you for sharing it. I, so in the process of getting ready to talk to you, I've been looking at your website and your Instagram and thinking about what I wanted to, which pieces I wanted to ask you about. And there's more pieces than I will have time to talk about. But the first thing I was really curious about was, 
something you wrote on Instagram about weaving a white sacred cloth that ties you into your family history with your grandmother and your great grandmother. And I'm wondering if you could share the story of that. Yeah. So when I was in St. Martin, that's where my grandmother um, lives on the French side. And my grandmother's name is Violet Estro. And when I went to see her, I will say a couple years ago, um, she, it was in 2017, I believe during the holidays, Christmas time. And it was just time for me to connect with her. Me and my grandmother's relationship is very deep. I feel like in another time we would, we're sisters. Like that's how close we are and our energies are synced and her favorite color is white. And she would express to me about my great grandmother, who I was unfortunately never able to meet because she passed away when my grandmother, I believe, was a teenager, like 15, 16 years old. And um, she would tell me stories about the relationship she had with her. Um, And when she got sick, she crocheted because my grandmother's um, very much into fibers at the time. And she crocheted this beautiful white um, blanket for her to keep her warm. And she showed it to me. She went in the back and showed it to me. And I was looking at this beautiful um, fabric my grandmother crocheted years ago. I mean, gosh, because my grandmother's in her 70s. So you could just imagine how old hmm, that cloth is. That's amazing. And I was like, Grandma, can I have like some of it? Because it was so big and it was heavy. Um, so I couldn't take every all of it with me. But she did gift me like however much I was able to take with me. And she also gifted me two other pieces she made for her that was actually like a poncho or some sort of wrapping um, for the body. And I really looked at it. And as soon as I got back home to Chicago and I was like, all right, this, I need to pay homage to my grandmother and my great grandmother at this time. And it was a huge challenge for me. This is when I, at the time I was weaving on a TC2 Mm. um, loom a machine loom. And I was exploring that because I was always very much like everything has to be made by hand. I ain't about the machine life. Uh, so <laughs> I stopped that and I was like, no, Shaniqua, don't do that. Don't psych yourself out. Explore other ways. So I did that. But then I revisited the floor loom and that's when I wove the white sacred cloth on the floor loom. And it was extremely intense process for me because number one, it's white. Um, my warps are always black. I, for some reason, I don't really know why. I just gravitate to that. But white is my least favorite color. But to be true and honest to the work, I had to do it in white because that was my grandmother's favorite color. And she spoke so highly to the reasons why she loved white. And if I'm paying homage to her, I had to do it in white. And I decided to do white on white and the most complex pattern that you really can't see from afar. You have to look very, very close to the cloth. So you have to become one and be very intimate with the piece. And that was very purposeful. Um, And the whole time I was freaked out because the loom was placed in a very not safe area. (laughs) At the time (laughs) when I was weaving it, it was placed in the dye lab. Oh, no. Your white warp. I know. Crazy. (laughs) Exactly. So you, you can just imagine me walking into the space and all covered up from head to toe and everybody's just like what is that what is that and I'm like 
I put do not touch. And every time I had to look at it, be careful, you know, if a little piece of like yellow yarn or anything and I'm cleaning it and I'm cleaning it, which goes back into my family as well. And how when we're upset or we're going through things, we clean. Um, and that's how I was brought up too. Like when I'm going through things and I want to vent or I'm having a hard day, I immediately go wash the dishes. I do laundry. I tidy up my home. And that's another thing that kind of bounces off to the piece as well. So that's the little tidbit Mm. story on that. Thanks for sharing that. I'm also really interested in your piece, my hair, my crown, um, which if you're willing, we'll, we'll have a picture of that in the show notes so people can go take a look of it at it. And I'm of course I'm curious yes. if you could talk about that piece. My hair, my crown originally was woven in 2014 and I revisited it in 2018 for a show at the luminary arts, um, and I believe St. Louis, Missouri. Yes. And it was, um, Kat Reynolds, who was the curator. It's a group show. And she was talking about just hair as a material and other things, of course, around womanhood and how we idolize various things as a woman, as far as beauty, what that looks like, etc. So she immediately just called me up and was like, I need a dynamic piece from you, like, and I found that this was the piece. So the beauty of my work, I revisit them and then it morphs into something else because of the use of material I use, which is hair. And I love that about my work, um, to be able to sit it down and then come back and then do something else with it. So my hair, my crown is really to just celebrate my crown, which I consider my hair that's on my head. So I always refer to it every time I get my hair done. I'm like, I'm getting my crown done today. I'm sprucing it up. I'm shining it up, Um, you know, and I love it. I love my natural hair, but I also, as a black woman, um, we have a ton of connotations when it comes to beauty, like I referenced before, but also the relationship and dynamics that we have with our hair. And the hair journey I've been on was a very long one. Uh, (laughs) So for me to come to this place where I love my natural hair and I embrace it was really what that piece kind of stemmed from and was about. That's beautiful. I'm I'm interested in you talking about how you revisit your weavings because I often think Mm. of, you know, you have something on the loom and then once you cut it off, you can't do anything else to it. So I'm curious, Mm. what what does that look like for you? Um, Well, ideally what takes place is originally when I'm weaving, um, I would weave it um, depending on how I feel and depending on how much is on the warp that's already on the loom, I will cut it at certain points because knowing that I'm weaving with hair, there are moments where the hair is just loose or the hair is controlled in some shape or form. So on the other side, you know, sometimes I just have to cut it to just keep the loom going the way it needs to. But as far as me revisiting, there are a lot of times in my process where I will cut the works off and I'll literally just put it to the side and it's not finished. It's just, I just need to get it out of my sight. I've been looking at it for so long. um, And it's just good to just walk away. And then when I revisit and I come back, I treat it differently. So it's not a cloth anymore. 
I have various phases when I'm weaving. So the first phase is just weaving it in its entirety. And then the second phase is me figuring out how to treat it. And during my treatment process, knowing that hair is predominantly the material of choice, I literally think of styles. <laughs> like I'm literally doing someone's hair. And hmm. um, yeah, and so there will be moments of that or there will be moments of just like, okay, how do I envision this being? And another thing, there will be also moments where I'm so honest with my work and sometimes I'm just like, you know what? It's already done. Like, I don't need to do anything. Um, it's speaking what I need to speak to me. Um, and if it's not, I'll take it out of the space in its entirety. So if I'm weaving at homes, I'll take it in another space that I feel safe in and I will play with that. Um, sometimes I'll put it on the wall and I will figure out from there. So there are many different ways that I address the work, but it's never completely done as far as it, when it's done being woven. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. You have a tapestry called My Love is Your Love, which shows you holding mm. your niece. And it's such a striking and loving work of art, the way the two of you are oh, gazing at you. each other. Yes, yes. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the process of making that piece. So the beauty of this piece, so the images of me and my niece, Manaya Watson, um, at the time, this is her christening. So I don't even know. She was a couple months old at the time and um that image is exactly what I needed it to be it encompassed everything um at that point in my work um that the love that I felt for her was just all wrapped up into that image and it also symbolized other things outside of what it meant to me personally like everybody can relate to that image in some shape or form mm -hmm. whether you're a man or a woman mm -hmm. and that's what I loved about it so the beauty of this is I didn't weave it. Um, and that was important for me because during that time, I didn't have time to weave anything, but I knew I needed to have something woven. So I decided to go through Walmart <laughs> <laughs> and order their blanket. And I decided to take it apart. So instead of me constructing, like I always do, I deconstructed wow. in a sense. So what I decided to do, the background of this piece was a terrible orange. <laughs> I hated it. Hated it. Um, so what I decided to do is literally go in and take out thread by thread to keep the main focus, which is her and I, intact. And that's why you see... Um, in the image, which kind of doesn't do it any justice. It's really meant to see in person, which I feel all my works. But nevertheless, um, it's very loose. And it, it makes you focus on what it is at hand, which is her and I. And the dynamic that is happening between me and her. And the title, My Love Is Your Love, really came from Whitney Houston's song. Because um, I would always... Even when in the process of me working on that piece, it'll just come across in my playlist. And literally upon me coming to a point where I felt it was complete, I heard that song. So I was like, this is what it needs to be. My love is your love, which is really what the relationship my niece and I have to this day. 
we're very, very close. And in fact, we're closer than my sister and I ever was. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that was very dear to me. So that's mm-hmm. really sweet. And we'll also put a picture of that up in the show notes so people can see that piece. For sure. So you have a new program um, where you're coaching artists Yay. and creatives called Yay. To Weave Your Dream Artist Residency, um, which sounds amazing. What, what is that? And also <laughs> what called you to create it? So um, To Weave Your Dream Artist Residency really came out of a place where I was aligned with myself. Um, and it's a new calling for me. Actually, in fact, I've felt like I've always been a coach. You know how you always do something and you really never knew it until somebody calls you out on it and really refocuses you. So I have my own coach right now and her name is Michelle Gomez. Shout out to Michelle. (laughs) She's amazing. And initially she came on as my launch strategist to basically get me from, out of working the corporate world full-time, which I'm currently in the position of, and keep me aligned to where I can be the full-time artist that I want to be, but not necessarily make art all the time, but have that dialogue with making art and doing something else. So through her coaching me to be a coach, it's so funny how that just, you know, from entrepreneur to coach, um, one of her programs And it was faith. She literally caught me at a time where I was just like, I can't do this. And literally she called me up and was just like, hey, I feel your energy. Like, what the hell you mean? So (laughs) now fast forwarding three and a half months later, um, in the process of her coaching me to be a coach, I created this program to be of service to artists and creatives, um, specifically women artists and artists of color. And I'm not trying to exclude anybody necessarily, but... I like to cater and stress that to people because it's necessary and it's important for me as a young woman and young woman black artist, right? And navigating in this art world, it's it's just a lot, you know. And one thing I realized from going from attending and graduating with two degrees from very high um Art schools, these institutions, you know, we're programmed to work, work, work. And we have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to do this when I leave or actually not. You know, we kind of set ourselves up like, oh, this cannot continue to live when in fact it can. So I'm just here to just be of service, to support, encourage and basically let the let artists and creatives know you can make it happen. And if you want to work full-time, so be it. But you don't have to stop making. And if you want to work part-time, so be it. But you don't have to start making. And if you just ideally just want to be a full-time artist, you can do that as well. You can do anything along those lines that will not stop you from being an artist. Because at the end of the day, that's in you. And if that's what you want to do, then you can make that happen. So I set up a program that is of aid to that. And I'm so excited about it. Um, And I can't wait to see where it goes. And just inspire and motivate is really the core of it all. Yeah. What is it about coaching and and mentoring people that feeds your own soul? Well, first thing is, um, it's a reflection of me. I feel like I'm always in a mirror 
there are points when I'm talking to artists or creatives, whichever point that I've been in that already or where I would like to be as well. And it's just that constant reminder for me that feeds me that, oh, if I'm telling you, you can do it, I damn sure as hell can do it. Or if I did it already, you can do it. So it's just that back and forth thing. It's always a mirror. And it keeps me on my toes. Um, and it keeps me all and all just to see someone succeed is just amazing. Um, and as much as I've succeeded thus far in my art practice and my art career. So I that's what really feeds me to keep going. I love it. Where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and your work and about this residency? So you can go online. I have a website um, titled ShaniquaABrooks.com, all one word, lowercase. And that will hold my portfolio. um, And I'm right now in the midst of revamping it where it'll also coincide with my coaching as well. So I'm in the midst of creating that story and it'll be revamped by the end of the month. But if you are curious to know what I'm working on and things of that nature, please check it out. Um, But also the best place as well to see what I'm doing currently and constantly is Instagram. And my Instagram name is my name Shaniqua, but S-H-E underscore N-E underscore Q-U-A. And also I link it with my Facebook artist page, which is Shaniqua, S-H-E-N-E-Q-U-A. So those are really the three big social platforms that I constantly just keep in rotation, primarily Instagram. So check me out there. Shaniqua, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your stories and also your motivations for other people. I'm wondering if you can close with any advice or words of wisdom that you have with weavers and artists out there. Yes, I actually have two. Um, And these two closing remarks are basically my mantra for every day. My first one will be learn to rest not to quit. And the reason why I love that um, quote, and I don't know who's who said that. Nobody has a name for it. <laughs> Nobody mm-hmm. claims who said it. But nevertheless, I love that quote because there are a lot of moments where I'm guilty of it. And I know definitely artists and creators out there and weavers are very much guilty of it, um, where we feel the need that we have to keep making and working. And we get to a point where we're just burnt out. And we don't know what resting is. Because if we do rest, we feel guilty about it. Right? So I'm here to tell you, no, do not feel guilty. The body has its own mind as well. And if you keep forcing it, it will shut down on you. So you have to learn to rest recuperate, reflect, and come back to be the best self that you can be to make the work where it needs to be and own that. So that's number one. And number two is no matter what setback comes your way, take a deep breath and continue to move forward, which is another, the same thing. I can't stress that enough. And I think that's one of the main reasons why artists and creators are discouraged to continue moving forth because they feel that need as if things are not happening immediate 
then it's not working. When in fact, you have to be patient because you're building an empire. You don't want something that's like a one hit wonder that just, you know, it's a trend. You want something that's long lasting. No matter what trend comes your way, you still strive through it all. And that's what To Weave Your Dream Residency is all about. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shaniqua. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. For information, as well as to see images of Shaniqua's work, you can visit our show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 51. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking with Sally Fox. Sally is an organic, biodynamic farmer located in the Capay Valley of Northern California. Sally's farm is comprised of climate beneficial wool from merino sheep, as well as naturally and organically bred color grown cotton. Sally is an inspiration of mine, as well as one of the few organic cotton farmers in America and has made a huge contribution to the genetics of cultivating and bringing color grown cotton to the market. In our conversation, we talk about the history and cultural significance of color grown cotton. So tune in next week for the fascinating conversation. And until next time, happy weaving!